Hi, I'm Jan. And I'm Lynn. Welcome to the Lamplighters podcast. Lamplighters is a community that encourages women to grow in our faith through the study of God's Word. We are grateful to be on the journey with you this year as we travel through the Bible, following the stories of some pretty amazing women mm-hmm. who have impacted our faith. So, Jan, I know we have a change of pace this week. We have a foreigner, unlike Delilah, who came to faith in the God of Israel and demonstrated that faith to everyone. And her name is Ruth. Mm-hmm. And she seems to be a lot more like Rahab. Uh, you are correct. She is like Rahab in several ways. And not only do we have a change of pace in the women this week, we have a change of pace in the study. Bless you. Sorry. <laughs> this, is just proof that, this is just proof that we don't edit these. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Sorry. Uh, we've been moving week to week with a story of different women. But mm-hmm. this week, we're going to linger with Ruth, and we're going to follow her for the next two weeks as well. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Well, I guess we should start with what we know about her. I mean, <laughs> I know we have that famous verse that we hear at weddings so often, where you go, I will go, where you stay, I will stay, your people will be my people, and your God, my God. And isn't that just the most breathtaking vow of love and loyalty yeah, you've ever heard. It really heard. is. It, it truly encapsulates Ruth's heart as she is pledging her devotion to her mother-in-law. Okay, but you know me, we're going to go back for some context. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Sorry, Lynn, there's going to be a little history lecture here. Oh, I'll take it. Well, I, I think it helps to understand the really big picture in mm-hmm. order to comprehend the courage and the magnitude of decisions that we see Ruth make in this book. So Mm -hmm. we have to get sort of a really big picture first. Uh, It it was a time of particular turmoil all around the Mediterranean. And I didn't know this, but entire societies were collapsing at this point in time. And there was mass migration. Whole people groups were moving all around the Mediterranean, Mm -hmm. particularly in the eastern parts. And that's how the seafaring Philistines ended up on the coast terrorizing the Israelites and establishing cities like Ashdod and Ascalon. And we're going to read about them again during the time of King David. So they're around for a while. Mm -hmm. But they came during this time of turmoil. Now, Israel wasn't exempt from the confusion and the anarchy. Mm -hmm. You know, this was a, a particular time in their history that was characterized by repeated unfaithfulness. It was the time of the judges that we studied Uh, last week. And remember, the book of Judges is just full of stories of human beings at their very worst. Um, Ruth's story, however, shows us so much of what is best Mm -hmm. about humanity. She was born after the fall of Jericho, probably toward the end of that 350-year period of the Judges, between Deborah and Samson. Okay. Okay. So it's between the 11th and 12th centuries BC. Those, Those dates are not important. But they're there for perspective. Okay. In other words, it's about 100 years before King David, mm-hmm. and it's about 1,000 years before Jesus was okay. born. All right? Now, this book in general is an interesting one. It's only one of two named after a woman, mm-hmm. and it was the only book named after a non-Jew. Mm-hmm. So that tells us something very special about Ruth mm-hmm. and how extraordinary she is. And it's not just about Ruth. 
her story is so intertwined with her mother-in-law that you can't talk about Ruth without talking about Naomi. Right. All right. So it's really, this lesson is really the story of two women. Mm -hmm. Now, unlike other women we've studied that have had long narratives and sort of epic tales, the book of Ruth is really a short story. Mm -hmm. It's short in verses and it's short in time span. It it covers only about 11 years. Mm. And it is a flawlessly beautiful love story. Uh, one commentator said it was Hallmark worthy. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that because yeah. it shows the full range of human emotion. Exactly. It's, it's really wonderful. Okay, the final interesting aspect of this book, at least to me, is that God never makes an appearance. Mm. Uh, we're going to discover the same about the book of Esther. Okay. Now, his name is used as a blessing in this book, but unlike previous women, uh, you know, Sarah comes to mind, mm -hmm. Hagar comes to mind, God never comes personally to Ruth. Hmm. So as we read, we need to ask ourselves, where is God in this story? Start looking for his fingerprints because you're going to find them everywhere, especially if you look sideways at it or if you look if you're peripheral vision, right, not straight right. at it. You'll find his character qualities and his attributes absolutely everywhere. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for the background. Um, you're always so good at providing the context and, and we need it. Yeah, I'm and, a history geek. And you, and you like doing <laughs> do, it, which I, I appreciate it. because I don't like doing it. And so often I don't do it. Um, <laughs> but you always remind me how important it is. So thanks for doing that work for mm. us this week. <laughs> well, I'm excited to get into this. I mean, who doesn't love a good love story? But I'm really curious about that last comment about God not making an appearance. I, I think there's going to be a lesson in there for us about learning to see His fingerprints in our story. It's going to be great training, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Just to see Him in our daily life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So where do we start? Um, well, not only... In this story, do we see clearly the character qualities of each main person? Uh, but also, as we go through the book of Ruth, we're going to see threads mm -hmm. from our previous studies coming together. You know, we've talked about how the Bible is a story from Genesis to Revelation, and mm -hmm. it's one continuous story that's going somewhere. Yeah. It's like God weaving a tapestry for us. And so we're going to see some of those threads this week. Good. Um, we've got the Canaanites. They're still around. Uh, you know, remember Deborah the judge? as well as the Philistines from Samson and Delilah fame. And isn't it nice to read about a good love story instead of a bad one? <laughs> yes. Um, we're going to run into Rahab again in a very special way because she is the ancestor of one of the main characters. Mm. We'll do that next week. We're also introduced to Bethlehem, which is the city the Israelites associated with King David. And, of course, the city that Christians associate with King Jesus, right? Uh-huh. And the threat of some circumstances reappear. We have childlessness. We have famine. Um, and like Exodus, the book of Ruth deals with exile and return. So we have all of those threads woven together this week. So we have this love story that is going to be complete with tragedy, triumph, and a damsel or two in distress, all tied up with a hero and a happy ending, right? There's no bad guys. <laughs> Yeah, no. The story always has a bad guy. Yeah, it does. And these bad guys were really evil. So talking about them a little bit is going to help us appreciate just how extraordinary Ruth's decisions and actions were. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the Moabites. Moab was a country east of the Dead Sea across from Judah. Now, hold on. This is a little convoluted. 
The Moabites were descendants of the son of Lot's daughter through an incestuous relationship with her father, right? Okay, the Bible doesn't pretty things up a little no. bit. Mm-mm. Lot was Abraham's nephew, mm-hmm. so this son, Moab, was somehow or another related to Abraham's family. And I tried to figure it out. Maybe he was second cousin to Jacob. I don't know. I never did. It was too tangled up. I can't figure that out in my own life. I know, but they're related. (laughs) Right. So even though uh, their ancestors were closely related, generally speaking, the Moabites and the Israelites despised each other. In fact, during the Exodus wanderings in the wilderness, Moabite women deliberately seduced Israelite men which didn't make them popular with the Israelite women, mm-hmm. I can imagine. And they lured them into participating in sacrifices to idolatrous gods. Now, their worship was grotesque, and it was an abomination to the Lord. Yeah. Because it not only involved temple prostitution and lewd behavior, it involved human sacrifice. Oh. So Moabite paganism typified everything abominable about idolatry. And the Moabite culture epitomized everything faithful Israelites were supposed to shun. And that is the culture in which Ruth was raised. We need to remember that. Which tells me that things must have been really terrible in Judah, the Mm -hmm. famine, and devastating for anyone to flee to Moab. Yes. Um, Is there another story about the Moabites that I'm vaguely remembering? Oh, yes. Yes. You have a good vague memory, Lynn. <laughs> Always. It's a lot better than mine. <laughs> it's one of my best things, the there, vagueness. There's a revealing and actually somewhat humorous, at least to me, because I have a weird sense of humor, a story about the Moabites in Numbers, chapters okay. 22 through 24. If you haven't read that story, you need to go back and read it. It's, it's wonderful. It, it involved the king of Moab hiring a non-Israelite soothsayer, a, a false prophet, if you will, to travel to Moab and cursed the Israelites as they were preparing to cross the Jordan Uh into the Promised Land. This imposter soothsayer was named Balaam. And on the way to Moab, Balaam's donkey starts talking to him. Uh And you'll have to read the rest, but it's a great story. As a matter of fact, now that I'm thinking about it, Balaam's donkey would make a good little teaching tidbit for us to post on our website (laughs) because there's so many lessons in it. Anyway, uh, another context note that will help us is, as usual, the Old Testament names. They indicate the spiritual qualities and characteristics and attributes of these main characters. Okay, so we have Elimelech, my God is king. He was a devout Jew. Mm -hmm. We have Naomi, which meant pleasant or gentle, although she later changed her name to Mara, which meant bitter, and then she changed it back. Yeah. So you could, you could communicate a lot by your name. I can tell. They had two sons, and I hope I don't butcher these pronunciations, Malon, which meant sick or sickly, and Chilion, Kilion, meant wasting or destruction. Who names their kids I know. that? That's what I'm thinking. It was prophetic because they both died in Moab, but still— and then we have Orpa, who which means fawn or stubborn, and Ruth, which means compassionate friend. Mm-hmm. I love those names. We'll pick up another one next week. One last thing for us to think about as we start into this book. So we can read this precious story on two levels. The literal one of an ordinary woman, a historical figure who turns out to be quite extraordinary and part of our faith heritage. Mm-hmm. The other level 
is something different. Ruth, of course, as we mentioned, was raised in this grotesque culture and Mm -hmm. immersed in a land of idols. When she accompanied Naomi to Israel, Mm -hmm. she was an outsider, a stranger in a strange land, didn't know the culture, probably had a hard time understanding the language, probably definitely spoke with an accent. She was a loathed Moabite and probably judged as such, at least initially, Mm -hmm. you know, by the people of God. She was also a widow, a foreigner, destitute, and completely without resources. So she was the lowest of the low in Israel. But Naomi had something she wanted, and Ruth stuck with her despite not knowing what the future held. She clung to the grace and the faith extended to her by her mother-in-law. Now, that's the second level. It's a beautiful picture of our salvation. You know, maybe we are Naomi. We are believers, but we've lived in a foreign land for so long that we've drifted, Mm -hmm. and we long to go home like the prodigal. Mm -hmm. And at one time, we were all Ruth. Maybe some people are still Ruth, Mm -hmm. right? We're sinners. We're morally destitute. Our own resources will never cover us. We live in a culture of idols. And by that, I don't mean like the one made out of rock or stone that sits on a table. I I think about the idols in our lives that we put before God. Yeah. You know, pride, wealth, power, control. Mm -hmm. We've talked about that a lot. Perfectionism, people-pleasing, performance, family is a big one. The list can go on and on, Mm -hmm. whatever we put before God, whatever we live our lives for, Mm -hmm. except God. And our idols are real. Yeah. And they cost us. We sacrifice to serve them. And that's costly, either in time or money or relationships or peace or dignity or health or hope or whatever. That list can go on and on as well. There are consequences to serving the wrong God. And so we need to be aware of the wrong gods we have in our lives because our own efforts will never save us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like Ruth, we long for something more, but frequently we don't know what it is. The future is uncertain. We live on the margins. We don't belong. And yet, as we see in Ruth's story, God is at work in mysterious and unexpected ways, Hmm. you know, to draw us in, to save us from ourselves, to, to redeem our lives in ways we can't even begin to imagine. Ruth could not imagine the end of her story. No. Um. You know, God adopts us into His family. And one of the sweetest ways God does that is He calls us through the Naomi's of our lives. Mm -hmm. You know, He woos and draws, and then He provides everything we need, including a kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. And He says to us, you are mine. You belong to my family. We will always be together. You're no longer in exile. Mm -hmm. You have come home. Mm -hmm. The story of Ruth is a tender love story between human beings, but it is also a tender love story between us and God. And I think that's one of the things that makes it so timeless. Well, I want to thank you for really expanding on that idol um, <laughs> issue, so I think, and I think it's an easy thing for us to dismiss because sure. we think of the little stone things, or we think of what they did a long time ago. But sure, nobody we have, wants to admit they worship. We an have idol. every bit the number of idols that they did. In fact, I think I've told you this before, but that's one of my things that I do at the end of every day. I list 
what my idol was that day. And oh, what wow. that what that means is, what was it that I did that day that took me away from focusing on God? And yeah. trust me, I never have a hard time thinking of something. No, and then there are costs to it when you've done yes, that. Yes, absolutely there yeah. is. Oh, that's a, that's a good spiritual discipline, actually. Oh, it's not very fun, but yeah, I think of it is good. it's not. Yeah, I think it is good. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so, ah, there's so much in this first chapter, isn't mm-hmm. there? We haven't even begun to scratch like we the surface. Our <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so is there something specific that you want us to think about this week? Well, yeah, I got to thinking about uh, the significant spiritual times in my life. Mm-hmm. And they've always been associated with a famine. Mm. So I want our friends to think about the famines in their lives. You know, those physical, spiritual, emotional, psychological, hard, dry, exhausting times that seem endless, and we didn't ask for them, Mm -hmm. and they aren't our fault, but yet we feel exiled, and we don't know what to do. You know, we've all had those. So think of that. Think of a famine in your life, and then reframe the famine through the lens of grace. Mm. This may take some time, and you may only be able to look at it in hindsight, right. not if you're currently in the famine. That's right, yeah. But you need to ask yourself, how was this famine part of God's love story in my life? Mm. In other words, how did God use that famine to move me, mm-hmm. to move me to a different place, to move me in a different direction, mm-hmm. to move me with different people? To move me where blessing is the result, because we all have a Ruth story to tell. Yeah, you're right. Well, I'm going to steal something from you, Jan, (laughs) um, and that's your list making. Mm. I think this would be a really great opportunity to, as you're reading through, to make a list of all the character qualities that you see exhibited Mm -hmm. in Ruth. And don't be surprised if it's pretty long. And don't be surprised if the qualities of Ruth are also the qualities of our gracious God. Ah, Mm. yes. Okay, until next time.